0: In today's episode, we open up the Gospel of Mark, this time chapter 4, verse 35, through chapter 5, verse 20. Jesus and his disciples embark on a journey by boat across the Sea of Galilee. Midway, they encounter a violent storm, but Jesus is unfazed. And at his disciples' pleading, he calms the storm, illustrating his power to command nature. When they reach the other side, they're met by a man possessed by a legion of demons residing among the tombs and exhibiting incredible strength. So in a dramatic confrontation, Jesus casts out the demons and restores the man to sanity. Good morning and blessed Pentecost. Today is Friday, October 27th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word, where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Remember that Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more about their translating and publishing work on their website at lhfmissions.org. We're live this morning, so feel free to call in with your comments or questions to 800-730-2727. You can also email them to me at pastorboo at gmail.com Or you can send me a Facebook message. I'll try to get your question or comment out on the air. But for now, let's welcome our guest for today. It's the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Good morning, Pastor Beck. Welcome to the program.
1: Good morning, Pastor Boo. How are you?
0: I'm doing okay. I'm doing pretty good. We had a, some storms and some internet connectivity that kind of messed up our last live show, but I, I have good, I know the Lord's going to bless our show today if it's his will. And, uh, you know, it's getting cold here in Minnesota. We, we woke up to 20 degree temperatures. We have highs of 30 today. I'm sure you're experiencing the same kind of weather down there in Warda, Texas, right?
1: Uh, yeah, it's getting up to 85 today.
0: <laughs> oh no, that kills me, but that's okay. That's okay. Uh, in fact, we're supposed to get snow tomorrow, and then I think the whole storm system is moving down to St. Louis, and they're going to get it middle of next week.
1: Wow. We should pray for you folks.
0: <laughs> you know what? I, I like the snow. It doesn't <laughs> bother me at all. It doesn't bother me at all. I, I'd rather be a little colder than a little hotter, so maybe Texas isn't, isn't right for me. Fair enough. Well, brother, I'm so happy to have you back on the show. Always an excellent guest. Our text for today has some really great, interesting things. Jesus calms the storm. He heals the man at the uh looking forward to all that. But before we do anything, let's start our time together in prayer. Would you lead us in that?
1: Absolutely, uh, let us pray. Dear Father in heaven, we thank you for this day that you have given to us. Uh, and we ask that as we study and we ponder uh, the text that you have placed before us, uh, we pray that you would uh, point to the calm, point us to the calm that Jesus brings um, in the, uh, the tumultuous uh, seasons of life, uh, especially uh, we give thanks Uh, that Jesus was there with the disciples and that he was there with the Gerizim demoniac, uh, but also that he is with us, that he walks with us through each and every uh, tumult of our lives and uh, each and everything that brings us anxiety and fear. We pray Lord that uh, this word would uh, open up to us uh, and that we would, uh, we would be led to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, that we would understand the mystery of your son uh, who came to save us and that we would be found in him. We ask it in Jesus name.
0: Amen. Amen. Well, when we last left our Lord, he was teaching in parables, a lamp under a basket, the parable of the growing seed, the parable of the mustard seed. And well, it says at the end of our text from last time, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So the events that occur in our text today, at least as we begin, are on the very same day that he's been teaching those parables. Any other background you think that the folks need to know?
1: Well, I, I do think that it is helpful for us to uh, sort of remember some big sweeping uh, themes uh, in the Gospel of Mark as we're walking through it. Um, one of the things that I just love, and I think you—we've uh, talked about this before—that I teach uh, a high school religion class uh, here in Central Texas at Faith Lutheran High School. This year, we're in Old Testament, so I'm uh, I'm having to you know kind of remember all of this uh, New Testament business, but it's, it's still good. Uh, one of the things that we always like to point out in Mark's gospel is that Mark is the, it's the gospel that sort of Jesus is an outsider to everyone who's inside of the, uh, the story proper. Um, we, of course, uh, we know from the very beginning of the gospel who Jesus is. I mean, it's right there in Mark 1, verse 1, uh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God we already know the the reader the listener you already know who jesus is but no one else inside of the story gets it nobody says you are the son of god i mean apart from a few demons we can talk about that when we get to gerasene but The guy who gets it is the centurion in Mark 15, verse 39, when he sees Jesus on the cross and he says, truly this man was the son of God. So the point that we should take from that is that in Mark's gospel, the way that you know Jesus is that he is the one who goes to the cross for you. You don't know him as the miracle worker. You don't know him as the one who uh, sort of, uh, you know, hands it to the the religious leaders establishment of the day. You don't know him uh, as the one who just Teaches and you know preaches and parables and things that are confusing like that, but we know Jesus as the one who goes to the cross for us, and we can't lose sight of that. Uh, but within the story proper there's going to be questions. Who is this guy? I mean, everybody is just asking, who is this? Who could this guy be? Okay. Um, and so we go through, and uh, and also the thing that we, uh, most folks will really quickly pick up on uh, in Mark, and I'm sure previous guests have mentioned this as well, um, is the speed at which Mark moves. Mark's gospel is uh, is the action gospel. It's moving on. Uh, that word immediately, euthus in the Greek, shows up over and over again. Uh, and Mark is just, he's in a hurry to get to Holy Week. And then it's almost like, once we, uh, once we get to Palm Sunday, kind of like he slams on the brakes and everything slows down and he takes, you know, several chapters to walk us through those events. But right now we're in that, that still that, uh, that fevered pace of walking through Jesus has been rejected, you know, by his, uh, by his family that think he's crazy. Uh, he's, uh, he's gone. He's been, uh, preaching in these parables, as you mentioned, uh, just from the onset, uh, he's, He's kind of moving through all of the stuff that are the high points of his ministry uh, to get us to that place where he's going to enter Jerusalem for the last week. And then, as I said, Mark is really just going to slam on the brakes and really slow down so that we don't miss any of the details. Does that serve well as far as the introduction I think it day?
0: does. In, in fact, okay. in many ways, you know, Mark is like speed running the ministry yeah. of Jesus. And for those who don't know what that is, you know, um, there for video games, especially older video games like Mario <laughs> Brothers and stuff like that, there are whole YouTube channels dedicated to people getting through it as fast as they can. So as fast as they can and as perfect as they can. And, of course, Mark's being led by the Holy Spirit, so perfection is not anything to worry about. But I think it's worth saying, though, that while it feels like, you know, one thing after another, after another, uh, our guest just explained very uh, uh, aptly why he does it. It isn't that he's in a rush. It isn't that he's, you know, doesn't want to get into the details. Uh, He's writing to a people who in some cases may know the details um, already. He's writing to a people, to Christians who would have already been taught many of these things. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he has a purpose, and, and we really don't really see that purpose fully until later in the book. But you also well, make I, a good point. Oh, go ahead. No, please.
1: No, I, I was just gonna. I was gonna add to that and say that um, one of the things that we we kind of see in in the Gospels, and I this is this is maybe my own take on it, is that I think in the in the Gospel of Mark, we really. If we relate with anyone, or at least if the original audience, which we believe is going to be uh, persecuted Christians, probably in Rome, uh, if we relate with anyone in the Gospel of Mark, I think we're supposed to relate with Jesus, okay? And hear me out on that, because Jesus, as I mentioned, nobody really understands him. Uh, You know, Jesus does a miracle, and everybody just looks at him and goes, who is this guy? Who can do stuff like that? Right. Um, he is sort of he's just the he's the outcast in the gospel of Mark. And not to say he isn't in Matthew, Luke or John, but I think that there is sort of that connection where, you know, if you're a Christian in the first century and you're being persecuted in Rome, then if someone reads, you know, or, or even orates the gospel of Mark to you, that's going to give you comfort because they didn't understand him I shouldn't be surprised that, that, you know, my neighbors, that the people that used to be friends with me and, and now we're not, you know, even the government itself, that they don't get us either, right? So I think that's that's one more thing to consider. Uh, thank you for jogging my memory there as far as, um, you know, the, when people would have heard this, they would have likely been people who were already Christians. They already knew the story, which is great. Right. That's, that's us too.
0: And you're right about bringing them great comfort because Jesus is this ultimate outsider, Um, But of course, we know that he's really the ultimate insider, but as people encounter him, um, it's really what we experience even today. You know, we go out into the world and whenever you live in the way that God calls you to live, whenever you proclaim the thing God calls you to proclaim, the world is going to look at you. Uh, like you're crazy. (laughs) Um, They may be morbidly curious. I think throughout time, we've seen the world react differently to the teachings of Jesus. Sometimes they gather around looking for their own share. And we see that a lot in Mark, people coming to get healed. And then there are times when they um, persecute those who look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and, and persecute Christ himself. Of course, that's who is ultimately the enemy for the unbelieving world, and that is Jesus. And so Yeah, I I think that's a very good and valid point. You also brought up, and I think it's important to emphasize, that as we're reading through these narratives, the people in the narrative do not know Jesus. And, and And you made a really good point earlier that we come in with some knowledge. Even the original audience of Mark or Peter, however you want to hash it out, they would have had some knowledge. But, yeah, the people who are encountering Jesus don't. But in our first segment for today, we're going to see that, well, even his own disciples uh, are still trying to figure Jesus out. We're going to start with verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him all right so we're that's actually the end of chapter 4 and the first portion of what we'll be studying so even his own disciples they don't have Jesus figured out in fact i don't know that they really ever have him fully figured out uh, until uh, his resurrection but but yeah this is one of those very famous uh, stories from the bible
1: right and i think this is one that uh, any any of the you know original uh, audience any of the original hearers when it came to this let us go across to the other side and then they they continue on in the boat that he had been preaching on you remember back at the beginning of chapter four that's where uh, he was near the the Sea of Galilee and uh, people were pressing in on him as he began to teach and so he he climbs into this boat and almost sort of has his you know little uh, his little in the water pulpit that he's teaching from uh, and so that's where they take off from but I think anyone who would have heard this let us go across to the other side and leave it they know oh we know what comes next, right? He's in the boat with the disciples. This is the one where he falls asleep and then he wakes up and, you know, puts the uh, puts the storm to bed afterwards. So I think this is there's there's great familiarity to this. You know, this is in uh, this is in the uh, I, I believe is this one in is this in all? It's in the synoptic gospels, I believe. I don't know that this one is in John. I remember him walking on water in John. I don't remember him falling asleep in the boat in John. You might, yeah. We me find on that we wrong.
0: find this in Matthew chapter eight, Luke chapter eight. And, um, well, no, what we have in John is him walking on the water.
1: That's right. Yeah. Which also that occurs in Matthew and Marcus. Anyways, that's another topic for another day. But, uh, so this is a very familiar, uh, account for folks. Um, the one thing that I, I, there's a few things obviously that we can point out from this. Uh, but I think that it's easy for us to lose sight of Jesus's words all the way back in verse 35. Our first verse today, when Jesus says, let us go across to the other side, Jesus is, he's actually making a promise to the disciples. They don't realize it at the time. (laughs) It comes out later. But when Jesus says, let's go across to the other side, what's going to happen is they're going to go across to the other side. And there isn't a storm that has ever raged that will stop them from getting to the other side, because Jesus himself, uh, the incarnate word of God, son of God, um, he has said, let us go across to the other side. And that's uh, at the very end of this, you know, not to not to fast forward too quick, but when he gets to the why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Uh, That always puzzled me. Have you still no faith in what? Well, in my words, I just said, let us go across to the other side. And as surely as this is actually Jesus, you know what's going to happen is they're going to go across to the other side, right? Um, and Jesus, there's that, that performative word um, that where Jesus says something and then it happens. That happens over and over again uh, in Mark's gospel, where he'll, you know, he'll send somebody back and they will be, you know, healed from that hour, or he'll he'll say she's, you know, she's not sleeping, she or she's not dead, she's asleep, and raise her up and everything like that, uh, and it ultimately comes to fruition, uh, depending on how you take the ending of Mark, which we're nowhere near and we're not even going to discuss today, but (laughs) three different times, Jesus has said, the son of man is going to Jerusalem to be handed over to sinners. He's going to be crucified, dead and buried. And on the third day, he'll rise again. (laughs) So we've seen all of these times when Jesus says things like, let us go across to the other side and you know, they're going to go across to the other side because Jesus says it. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to be crucified, dead and buried on the third day, rise again. ah, I mean, I'm I'm okay with the longer endings of Mark and everything else, but I mean, if you just leave it hanging there, well, we all know what happened because the preacher who's delivering the gospel of Mark, uh, John Mark himself, uh, you know, this is, as you alluded to, this is very likely uh, the way that Peter told the story. Um, Yeah, they get to see the risen Christ. Yeah, they confessed him uh, we have seen the lord yeah they they continued on uh even into you know the early church until they were martyred so there's there's a lot here but i want to go ahead and give you a chance to uh to to chime in and to ask me a question or two if
0: well you. i'm i'm telling you i'm just sort of uh taking it all in because this there's is why so i love much. this show Well, this is why I love this show, because I've always, in my decade and a half of being a ministry, have focused on, of course, his ability to command this wind and the waves. And that is an extremely important part. But I have never considered uh, what you just said. And that is when he says to them about their faith, he questions their faith. Why have you still no faith? You know, I just sort of say, oh, well, he means faith in him. And I just move on. But what you say is, is, is new to me. I, I've never considered that, so I'm just kind of uh, wrapping my mind around it. But yeah, it, it reminds me a little bit of, you know, the one who has uh, been given responsibility over a little will be given, you know, uh, so we, we see here where he gives them, uh, I guess, a little thing to trust in. You right. know he, he says, "We're going go to go the other side." And it is not completely obvious, but yeah, if Jesus says we're going to the other side, then you're going to get there, no matter what happens in between. And, huh. But that's a little thing. They don't have to wait very long to see that happen. And so they do get to the other side. He has a teaching moment. He gets to say, see, look, we made it. You were, you were, uh, you were afraid for no reason. And that's going to really come in handy when he starts saying things like, I'm going to die. And now they have to wait three days for his words to come true. Or I'm going to return. And we have to wait, well, how? who knows how long. But can we trust the word? Yeah, because we see here that even in little things, Jesus is is, uh, completely trustworthy and that his word come true. There's no reason to doubt him in these grander things also. At least that's what I'm taking from it, and I, I think it's great.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get across. And again, yeah. if it's uh, if it's something that nobody else has ever said before, that probably means it's wrong. So take it with a grain of salt.
0: But- <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. I don't know if no one has ever said it, but I've never heard it. Let's put it that way. But okay, but but we do get to the point though, and that is that this great windstorm uh, arises, arose, yeah. and it, when they describe it, the waves are breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. I, I don't know that people, especially Americans, don't fully understand what, like, the Sea of Galilee is like. Uh, yeah. I mean, perhaps if you've looked it up a little bit, maybe the average listener to this show knows more. But just in case those who aren't sure, um, talk a little bit about the actual, you know, geography of the Sea of Galilee. I mean, this isn't like a little lake.
1: Yeah, exactly. No, so so the um, – my previous call uh, was in Corpus Christi, uh, Texas. I don't think there's a Corpus Christi anywhere else on earth. We were in uh, Corpus <laughs> Christi, Texas, and uh, we had uh, right uh, like eight blocks from the church, we had the Corpus Christi Bay, okay? Um, and the Corpus Christi Bay, um, in terms of the actual surface area of it, was very similar in size to the Sea of Galilee. And so I could, I could tell folks, you know, um, about the same size of, uh, of a body of water, uh, which is to say, and this kind of blows me away, on a clear day you can see across it i mean that's that's not mm. huge right? right um that's that's not gargantuan but the difference the biggest difference is the terrain because i mean corpus christi is about as flat as it gets i mean i think that you know you're you're at sea level obviously um i think our house there was like 40 feet above sea level right um Whereas at the Sea of Galilee, uh, you have um, you have all of these great mountains. I mean, you've got um, these huge mountain ranges that kind of converge together and then it is uh, it is spring fed and it is snow fed uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, such that basically you've got this huge valley and it's just full of water and that's that's the Sea of Galilee. So, I mean, the um, the difference uh, that the biggest difference that I kind of was uh, was able to point out was that topography and the fact that. I mean, the, um, the average depth of the Sea of Galilee is 84 feet, which is very deep. I mean, yeah. 84 feet, that's, that's further down than the most divers will go, okay? Um, the average depth of the Corpus Christi Bay, and I'm just doing this part from memory, uh, the average depth of the Corpus Christi Bay, I believe, was like 15 feet or something like that. Okay. So it's, it's very, yeah. And there's a shipping channel that's, that's, that goes through it and everything like that. And that doesn't mean that it's all 15 feet, right? But the average depth of it is just, it's this big flat place where, where water has settled, you know, because of the Gulf and everything else. So when you have the topography that you do over uh, near the Sea of Galilee, you get this, this cool air that's coming down uh, off of these mountains because, you know, it's higher up in altitude and everything else. And it's speeding up as it's going down the sides of it. uh, And then it's hitting the hot air, from the east that's coming in from the, uh, all of the desertous regions over as you go that direction, um, and you just get these squalls that come up. Anytime you have hot air and cold air bumping into each other, I mean, it's, it's got to be a terrifying thing. Add to it the fact that this is, um, I, I mean, this is in the evening, when, uh, when the evening had come, right? Uh, I, one of the things that I think that we forget about oftentimes is how dark nighttime is, <laughs> that, that sounds right, like right. A, the it's, most obvious. thing Well, we're thing so to used say. to lights, though. No, yeah, we're so used yeah. to
0: light pollution.
1: But I mean, these guys are in the middle of this storm, so they can't navigate by stars. Uh, they're in the middle of this this dark place where I imagine the water that's coming in and everything like that. I mean, I mean, even keeping a lamp or a lantern lit. I mean, they're it, this must be just one of the most terrifying things they've ever experienced. You know, um, so they're here and they. They really, when they say, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" I mean, I think that they—they're afraid they're going to die here. I don't think they're being dramatic. I don't think they're saying, "You know, uh, Jesus, we need you to do something really cool right now." I think that they're—they're they're saying, "This is all hands are going to be lost at sea. This is this is it. This is over." And of course, we know what Jesus does. But I, I mean, maybe we should talk about the fact also uh, as we're we're talking about this uh, this this trip uh, that Jesus is just kind of in the back of the boat taking a nap. That's, that's, uh, did, did you see the the thing that uh, I, th- I saw it on the Internet one time that says, you know, uh, um, what was it? Jonah, you know, took a nap in, in a boat or something like that. Jesus took a nap in a boat and uh, somebody else, you know, was was sleeping or something. It says the the moral of the story is it's OK to take a nap every now and
0: then. Yeah, there's always time for a nap.
1: There's always time for a
0: nap. Yeah. But, you know, well, of course, we do have a little bit of connection there between Jonah and Jesus in the sense oh, that, yeah. you know, You know, Jesus is the the perfected Jonah. He's doing his father's will. You know, but also let's talk a little bit about where they're going, though. He says to the other side, that looks like they're heading to the Decapolis. That's uh, Gentile territory.
1: They're heading into Gentile lands, right? They're heading over towards, uh, uh, well, we'll see in the next chapter, the the country of the Gerasenes. Gerasa was actually – it was actually – about halfway between uh, the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, I just pulled it up on a map to double check that. I mean, it's kind of far away, but they call it the country of of the Gerasenes, and so maybe that's mainly because this uh, this this demon possessed guy is, you know, of that uh, that city or whatever. But uh, yeah, they're going over to the place that is going to be not even in. In Galilee, not in Samaria, but it's actually going to be all the way over uh, in Gentile lands, like you like mentioned, the Decapolis, the ten cities that are over there. Um, so Jesus is going into, uh, into a place that he doesn't spend a lot of time in the Gospels. You know, he's, uh, he's going, uh, maybe we could even say he's going away from the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and he's going over to where he might uh, encounter some folks that are of a little bit different stripe. That's, that's kind of an interesting thing to ponder as well.
0: Oh, yes, absolutely. And then he, when he gets, well, they're on their way over. We have this sort of storm midway, and you, you talk about him sleeping. They wake him. It says they wake him. Rabbi, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? And then I like how Mark writes, and then he awoke. So I, I think Jesus also, contrary to what I've actually heard some people try to preach, he's not faking it to test their faith. I think uh, he's asleep. Yeah, I think he's just he's asleep, preaching guys. all day. <laughs> yeah. And so when they wake him, they're like, don't you care that we're asleep? But he's just I, I honestly I picture him kind of groggy going, OK, wait a minute. Yeah. Wh- what's going on? And then they're like, don't you care? And he's like, oh, um, peace. And then everything just is calm. Yeah. I, I that has to be much more terrifying to these disciples than the storm.
1: Oh, absolutely. It is. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're over here and they're, uh you know, they're, they're facing certain death. And then, you know, you, th- you think about the roller coaster of emotions that they're on, you know, if anyone can help us bail, you know, maybe it's Jesus, you know, Jesus, what do you, what do you think that you're doing? And you mentioned, uh, Jonah, this is very reminiscent of Jonah. Um, you remember in the, in the book of Jonah, uh, chapter one, before, uh, before he's, uh, you know, swallowed by the, the fish and everything, Jonah's there. And, uh, all of the, the guys that are up, uh, upstairs. Yeah. They're throwing over the ship's cargo and the ship's tackle and all that kind of stuff. And they're, they're crying out to their gods. Right. Um, I wonder who the disciples are, are crying out to as Jesus is there asleep in the boat, you know, and they go, they go down, they rouse Jonah, they, they wake him up and they're like, Hey, you call on your God and see if that works. They're kind of trying to throw everything against the wall to see what sticks. And, uh, the disciples, uh, they, you know, they, I I hate to say this. I maybe it's not like this. Maybe their first reaction, you know, as they're uh they're starting to fill with water, maybe their first reaction is they went and woke Jesus. But I'm I'm afraid that it was probably like they paddled harder and they like pulled harder to, you know, to keep the, the sail in, and maybe a couple of them were like bailing water out of the side, and it's like, well, we tried everything else. Somebody go wake up Jesus. <laughs> I would like to think that the first thing they did is you know, this storm has come upon us. Let's go wake up Jesus.
0: I don't well, know. I, I, don't, I don't want to uh, unduly connect you and me and other pastors to Jesus unduly, yeah. but, <laughs> we, we, <laughs> but we experience this as pastors a little bit. How often have yeah. you been told by a parishioner who has some sort of trouble and you find out a little bit late or, or it's been a while and then you tell them, you say, well, why didn't you reach out? Oh, I didn't want to bother you. I know you're busy. Yeah, I know you're busy. It's like, listen, never too busy for you. That's literally why I'm here. And right. and so Jesus, there is part of that where I think they go to Jesus, and I, I agree with you. I do not sense that they're going to go straight to Jesus. I think like we do today, we don't think of the church first. We don't think about calling on the pastor. We don't think about even calling other Christians to help us. We try to do our best to get us out of whatever trouble there is. And yet here God has given you a gift in the church to have fellowship with other Christians who are going through the same thing. Well, here God himself is in the boat. And while it's not clear, so we are speculating, I do agree. I believe that they probably tried all they could before they, well, let's not bother Jesus. And by the time they bothered him, they're angry. And and I'm afraid we can can relate to that too.
1: And I think we see that in his response. Have you still no faith, right? Um, It's like you've, you've, you've gone everywhere except the place that you needed to go. You know I mean the fact that he is able just with his his rebuke, his sort of you know just his you know waving of his hand almost, and then his peace be still uh and there is a great calm that that is eerie that is beautiful that is um I mean you could almost just say that is a foretaste of, of what is to come when the uh uh the, the tumultuous sea is going to be stilled and it's gonna be like uh, like glass underneath the throne in Revelation. Uh you have that beautiful picture of just Jesus brings calm where there's turmoil and where there's where there's trouble. Uh I don't know that it gets much better
0: than that, right? And yet they still ask
1: the question, who then is this? We got to talk about that on the other side, right?
0: We are going to have to talk about the other side. Yep, you knew what I was going to say. So folks, Uh, don't go anywhere. When we come back, Pastor Beck and I will pick up where we left off. We'll see you on the other side. Welcome back, dear listeners. I'm Pastor Phil Boo, your host, and this is Thy Strong Word. With me this morning is the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church, way down in the very warm Ward of Texas. And we're talking about the Gospel of Mark. Before we head back into our text, I just want to remind you once again that if you have any feedback, questions or comments, maybe you have your own insights into what we're talking about, you can reach out. Email me at PastorBoo at gmail.com. Find me on Facebook. You can even call into the studio, 800-730-2727. Any of these methods can get your question or comment out on the air. Well, Pastor, before the break, we didn't quite get to the end of four because you brought up their response, which is so important, and we don't want to minimize it. Verse 41, and they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind? And the sea obey them, obey him, pardon me, obey Jesus. So they were afraid of the storm, but now they're filled with great fear because of Jesus's ability.
1: Isn't it amazing that this just ends with a question? I mean, this this entire chapter, it's been Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the, the one who's, uh, you know, telling us what the kingdom of God is all about. Um, and then it ends on this. I mean, this is a high point in Jesus's ministry right? Jesus is here with the 12. He rescues them. He saves their lives. And then all that the episode ends with is a question, who is this guy? But again, that's that's the gospel of Mark for you, because mm-hmm. you don't get that answer until he is dead on the cross. And then a centurion, a Roman, a pagan, a guy who is the most outsider to this story as you could get, he's the one who points his finger and says, Surely this man is the son of God. That's that's the beauty uh, and the intricacy of you know everybody thinks of Mark as the simple gospel because it's sh- mm-hmm. you know, shorter, mm-hmm. but there, it is so masterfully written. You know, and of course you know under the influence of the Holy Spirit here, um, the Holy Spirit is such a wonderful uh, um, preacher. Uh, and so when Mark uh, actually put pen to paper for this, um, yeah, we have this uh, almost this. Um, it uh, satiates your your appetite it makes you go uh, yeah who is this guy i mean most people the wind and the sea don't obey them you know them uh, and you, you keep going and just uh, who is this guy who can this guy be uh, that's we're going to hear it again in chapter 5 today uh, they're going to just say they're going to marvel at this guy who who could this guy possibly be most people don't do things like that So I think that's important for us to just kind of, Mm -hmm. we get to lean into that and we get to cling to sort of that unanswered question that we obviously, uh, as 21st century Christians, as listeners to KFUO, we know the answer. We know who he is. So we almost, by the time you get to the cross, you almost want to scream it to these people when they're like, who could this guy be? You're (laughs) like, he's the son of God, of course. So anyways. Well, we saw this earlier.
0: Well, we saw this earlier back in Mark 1, right? So he was in the synagogue. They were all amazed. They questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So, yes, Mark leaving these questions open, I think it also invites us to contemplate it. Because sometimes – and you're right. By the time we get to the end, because of our catechesis over the years, we know the answers to these questions. But I also want to say – Sometimes people think they know who Jesus is. They even put their faith open trust in Him, but it doesn't really mean they really know Him or have contemplated Him. I'm not saying they're not saved. What I am saying is that this invites us to not just jump to the cross, not just to jump to the centurion, but to really contemplate who really is Jesus. That the wind and the sea obey Him. Might be easy for pastors, but I think if you were to ask just average Christians on the street. What does it mean that Jesus could command demons and the wind and the sea? They might say, well, it just meant that he was powerful. Yeah, but no, it's, it's more than that.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, it's important that we see this, that he is, uh, he is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. I think he says that elsewhere. You, you might remember that one. Uh, Jesus is the <laughs> one who all of creation bows down to him, right? Right, right now, we experience that by faith. Right. Because if you look around the world today and you say Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, you're like, but does he really? Because there's some weird stuff going on in the world. Right. Right. But um, on the last day, when we see him face to face, when he comes again in glory, when the, the trumpets and the angels and all the stuff, when that all takes place. I mean we will experience by sight what we now experience by faith uh, and what the disciples experienced on that day when all of a sudden that that Jesus who was you know gentle and meek and mild and all the things um you know preaching and teaching and doing parables they got a glimpse of what is to come which is to say that even when creation would would rage against us with its thorns and thistles and you know tumults um, yeah, Jesus stills all of that, and that's, that's what he ultimately will do. Uh, so there's a lot of promise built into what Jesus is uh, here doing for his disciples.
0: Well, let's turn the page into chapter 5. It, really, the chapter might change, but the narrative continues. I'll start with verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he wrenched the chains apart and broke the shackles in pieces, so no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and They, that's the demons, begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Oh, pardon me. They begged him saying, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down to the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. We'll, We'll pause right there at verse 13. I fumbled a little bit, but we have this message of Jesus and um, the unclean spirit is is fighting back with Jesus, but maybe yeah. we should start at the beginning. The country of the Gerasenes, the Gerasenes. Also in other manuscripts, uh, it comes out as the Gadarenes or something like that. Uh, anyway, where, where, where is this taking place?
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a little bit of back and forth. I, I don't think we should get uh, tripped up on the name here. Uh, basically, this is southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So they've come from, I believe they were in Capernaum or near Capernaum, kind of in the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee before all of this. This is sort of Jesus's base of operation in Galilee. Um, and so now they're on the southeast side. They've gone all the way across the thing. Um, and so they've, they've traveled pretty far uh, in one night. Uh, but yeah, they're over here. And you mentioned before, the break that this is a this is a um, a Gentile area. This is you are not going to be dealing with Jewish folks. Um, you are going to be dealing with the folks who are outsiders uh, to the kingdom of God, and so they're going to be you know even even more uh, even less familiar. There we go. I was going to say even more unfamiliar, but even less familiar makes more sense. Uh, they're going to be even less familiar, uh, with, um, what Jesus is talking about. Uh, who is this God that you're, that you're mentioning, that you're proclaiming and everything else. Uh, but when the guy shows up, I mean, uh, it says, again, we've got, here's immediately they came to the other side, right? Jesus steps out of the boat immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So this guy, we don't know if he was just kind of waiting for Jesus to show up and ah, here he is. Uh, I think this is just the way that Mark tells, uh, you know, tells this story, this account rather, um, is to say, you know, it's just it it happened like it was just boom, boom, like right there. You get there, the guy comes up. Um, And I, I appreciate that you pointed out that this is. This is a battle between Jesus and this legion of demons. This is this is more than just, you know, Jesus sees somebody who's, you know, going through a really rough time or is struggling with mental illness or something like that. And Jesus just kind of like makes it better for him. This is a guy who has supernatural strength. He's living like a dead man. He's cutting his face. He's he's living in a tomb. And um this is the guy uh, that is going to do battle, spiritually speaking, with Jesus. I, ju- I think it's an incredible scene that unfolds. And I think sometimes we have uh, maybe a tendency to sort of Sunday school this and to kind of, okay, there was this guy who was having a really rough time and Jesus showed up and <laughs> helped him. But it's so much more than that. I mean, this guy must have been terrifying, right? Right.
0: Well, oh, absolutely, and but you know we talk about this guy. He's out in the tombs. Part of that, I think, is from you know he's being ostracized by his community because of all the things that the demonics are making him do. I think also, and this is a little bit of speculation, but I think the this man has lucid moments. Very likely, he also segregated himself in the tombs, just assuming that he would he would you know, be destroyed by these demons. Because then, in verse five, uh, sorry, chapter five, verse six. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. The, okay. the Greek here yeah. really indicates him submitting to God. So is it the demons submitting to God because God's God and he even rules over the demons? Well, very possibly. Is it the man in some sort of lucidity has heard of Jesus and says, hey, maybe you can do something. Maybe it's a little of both. I don't know. But I think even more important, then we move into him, who who the demons recognize Jesus as, son of the most high God. Uh, I guess break that apart for us because there's only one God, so why – what's the point of saying most high God?
1: No, and I think you're you're. That's a great point that you bring up about uh, verse six. The fact that you know when we get into the story proper, not just that he immediately met him, but when we get into the actual unfolding of the events as they took place, um, that he does run up and he falls down before Jesus. And so, I, I honestly, uh, and I'll I'll confess this, you know, live on the on the air that I. I don't have uh, as, as much uh, understanding of, of demon possession and of that that whole realm of, of theology. I mean I know there are a lot of folks that have done some some reading on that. Um, I don't have as, as great of an understanding of exactly what's going on with this guy but I I like the idea that he does have some moments of lucidity. he does have some moments here where there is he can recognize. Um, whether it's the demons in him or whether it's him, he can recognize that this guy that's getting out of the boat, there is something special about him. There is some reason why I should go over to him. And he shows up to Jesus needing something. I mean, he falls down before him, uh, but then uh, it's almost like there's a uh, there's a, um, an about face crying out with a loud voice, you know, um, demons got your tongue kind of a deal. Um, what have you to do with me? Okay, uh, we've already seen, I believe, all the way back uh, when Jesus drove out an unclean spirit. Was that in chapter two? I think um, that same question: uh, What it, what is it between you and between me, Jesus, Son of Most High God? Uh, that kind of it's a weird uh, Greek expression, but that's it's a decent translation. What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Uh, so the question is sort of like: um, Is there going to be is there going to be drama between us? I think this is this is clear here that this is not. This is not the man speaking of his own accord. this is the this is the demon here, the demons we should say, legion for we are many. this that's who's speaking here. Um, and as I mentioned in the first segment early in today's program, right um no man <laughs> uh, gets to know that Jesus is the Son of God until we get to the cross. Okay, right. we get it in chapter one verse one, The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, but then we don't see it again until fifteen thirty nine okay, so here uh this is the demon speaking, and of course, you know um the uh, the demons as as fallen angels as formerly in the presence of God of the most high God, even yeah, I think that that's just um that I don't want to say that's a a a term of of respect here, but it's just stating the facts right um he's going to come out and he's going to say hey listen is there going to be trouble between us jesus and then i adjure you by god uh he the demons remember um is it peter that talks about this or james that talks about that uh even the even the demons uh know god and they shudder right even they believe in him
0: yeah that's james uh, right
1: okay yeah yeah so they they know god and so he he adjure he begs him by god don't torment me don't destroy me we had been you know we are then told Jesus had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit, right? So a little bit of the back, backfill on why he would say, don't torment me. Uh, but Jesus is apparently doing what Jesus does, which is bringing calm to a tumultuous situation. Uh, and yeah, he's he he makes the confession. He knows who Jesus is, but he does not know him by faith.
0: Okay? And which I think how we're also- see
1: This guy know him eventually in the end, by the way.
0: Well I think it's also interesting that when he asks him his name he actually doesn't get it. Uh, and yeah. maybe it's because of logistics because what they respond uh, is yeah. legion. <laughs> but yeah. legion's not his proper name, right? Tell tell, yeah. tell us about that. I mean why why would they say legion I, it, you know instead of I don't know I guess I don't know what demon's names sound like. I was going to try to think of one but never mind. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Yeah, why do I mean, they say legion?
1: Beelzebub. There you go. That's that's one that's in there. There right? we go. Yes. Maybe Prince so? of yep. demons. Oh uh, yeah. So um, I mean, legion is—I uh, mean, that's that's the Roman military uh, unit. I, I think it's it's several thousand, right? I think this is. Um, well, my my study Bible here. Uh, thank you, Lutheran Study Bible, Concordia Publishing <laughs> House. Uh, it says uh, mili- a Roman military unit containing between four thousand and six thousand soldiers.
0: Okay. Yeah, the source I have says. 5,400 infantry and 120 cavalry, but it doesn't tell me where it got that.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, that's that's between 4,000 and 6,000. I was going to say, it's very
0: specific. I'm not sure why, but anyway, go ahead.
1: (laughs) No, I love that, yeah. So, I mean, what we've got here is a host of these demons who have possessed this guy. I mean, which— I mean, that's kind of terrifying. You know, I mean, we're, we're going through some scary texts today, uh, Pastor Boo. We've got, uh, you know, this, this, this tumultuous uh, storm at sea. And then we've got, um, I mean, if we want to take this very literally and say, you know, I go by Legion, you know, you can call me Legion because there's many of us, you know, and, and he moves right there from, this is a, a battle for the 21st century, is it not? A battle of the pronouns here. My name, singular, is Legion for we, plural are many, uh, but we probably shouldn't touch on, on uh, pronouns and everything like that uh, just because of the distraction that it is today. Uh, no, sure, I mean, this, sure. this guy, he has these spirits living in him such that he refers to himself in the plural such that he says, Hey, there's a lot of us there, Maybe it's, he's coming at it from this perspective. Uh, maybe he's trying to intimidate Jesus. There's a lot more of us than there are of you, buddy.
0: <laughs> Which is, is humorous yeah. in light of, of course, not only who Jesus is, but I even think of Jesus at the end of Matthew. Do you not think that I cannot just appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? That's and if we remember that legions, I'm sorry, pardon me. If we remember that angels <laughs> uh, and demons are the same creature, right. then we see here that, hey, Jesus could call 12 legions. So what, a one legion? Uh, yeah, that's nothing of Jesus. What, it's between... You know, 5,000 and 6,000 of you. Okay, well, that's no problem, Jesus thinks. You know, but because they do say, I think you're right. I think there might be some sort of false sense of, like, trite of intimidation. But then it says right here, he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So so they they both confront Jesus and at the same time say, well, don't hurt us.
1: Yeah, I think that you've got maybe maybe we could say this is sort of posturing. On the part of this this situation, the, these demons, this legion of demons, uh, posturing, saying, "Hey, there's a lot of us." And Jesus, I mean, Jesus doesn't, you know, say, "I can call down you know twelve legions of angels right now." He doesn't need to. We've already established this is Jesus, Son of God, Most High. Um, so, yeah, he's he's posturing, but he's uh, he's all bark, no bite. <laughs> right?
0: Well, and um, and we know they're not in uh, Jewish territory because right, right there on the hillside is two thousand pigs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the next part, isn't it? He begs him earnestly not to send him out, right? There's this great herd of pigs feeding there on the hillside. So send us into those pigs, let us enter into them. And then Jesus, this is just, it's a strange miracle because he drives the demons out. He sends them into the pigs. So anybody who would have been, uh, would have been listening to this, they would very likely know that, you know, one of the things about the Jewish people is they don't, they don't associate with pigs. They're not pig farmers. They don't eat pigs. They don't come into contact with pigs. Um, but Jesus allows this. Uh, he, he sends the demons over there, and then they they rush down into the sea and drown. I mean, it, you talk about things that just kind of give you that uh, we, we tend to Sunday school these, and we tend to kind of, you know, just like turn it into a cartoon that's like, oh, nice. Um, this has got to be horrific. I mean, 2,000 head of swine that just like run off into the sea I mean, it is, it, that's a mess that stinks. That's uh. I mean, for a lot of these herdsmen, I imagine that's a lot of livelihood. That's just gone down the drain.
0: Well, as we say, we haven't quite read what their response is, but even yeah. this, this whole 2002 myriad, right. Rushing into the sea and drowning. Uh, you know, I don't know. I can't help, but think of the Egyptians, right. Yeah. You know, in the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses and his chariots and his horsemen drowned in the sea. You know, the sea is a place for, uh, uh, uncertainty and chaos and 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 jesus can control the sea which we've literally just seen exactly. and now he can even use what is frightening to men the chaos of the unknown of the sea and use it of course to uh to drown these these pigs that the demons were inhabiting now i, I know you said earlier you know i'm not an expert in demonology but i i guess it does raise the question the pigs died in the sea but demons can't drown. I wonder what happened to them.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they went. Uh, maybe they went to the depths of the sea, like into the uh, into the abyss. I don't. I don't.
0: I don't know. I don't know. I don't either. It's just an interesting question. Hey, if you guys know, send question, me an email for sure. No. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to fourteen and finish up the text. So the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus, and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed, in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as he was getting in the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. So uh, that's the end of our text for today. So, yeah, the herdsmen um, were scared, ran away. <laughs> A bunch of people did come because, you know, you know looky lose, people are curious. And they all come they're they're sort of sussing it out i imagine all the crowds just say oh what happened oh and then he did this and he did that but what i think is really fascinating because we're getting close to the end of the time i really want to jump to they began to beg jesus to depart
1: yeah, That is something
0: is not what you would expect i mean you you kind of would but take us through why that's interesting
1: right so i mean you got a couple of things that are going on first of all i mean this is um this has done a, a terrible thing to their economy Right. Um, you know, what, what is, you know, how else is, how's Jesus going to help us next? <laughs> you know, is he going to, is he going to take our camels and drive them off into the sea too? Um, <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm just no. laughing
0: at that. It's like, yeah, no, please quit helping us. No, Jesus, go ahead. Stop
1: helping. Yeah. But, um, you know, for the sake of, of this one man, I mean, you lost 2000 pigs and one man got his life back. And I think mm. that's worth it. Mm-mm. I think that's worth it you know? Uh, and so these folks, yeah, I don't exactly know what's going through their head. One thing, just based on my own, uh, you know, previous kind of takes on uh, on Mark and everything else, and because I think it's in here, uh, is these guys, they still don't understand who Jesus is, right? We got to go back to that. Uh, they see Jesus, and uh, they were afraid, which this is not the kind of time that you want to be afraid. This is the time you want to rejoice, because this guy who was as good as dead, he was living in a grave. He's now, dressed, clothed. He's in his right mind. He's just sitting there listening to Jesus, okay? So they beg him to depart from the region because they don't understand. They don't get it. And and truthfully, they can't because they're only seeing a part of who Jesus is right now uh, whenever he's doing battle with demons and driving them into pigs and into the sea. Um, to know who Jesus is, you got to tune in next time. You got to follow along. You got to stay with us. You got to hear the mo- uh, more of the story, which is to say he's the one who goes to the cross. I, I just think that's that's you cannot read Mark's gospel and get a full understanding of who Jesus is without verse one, uh, chapter one, verse one, and without fifteen uh, there when uh, the centurion points. Those are the two hinges, the two bookends that you have to have uh, to understand what uh, what is being given to us in this gospel.
0: The man wanted to go with Jesus. And yeah, and thinking about what he had to face if he stayed, it, it, it would be hard, I think, you know, because they're only going to identify him with what he had uh, been experiencing. Now he is free. He wants to go with Jesus. We have like 90 seconds, brother, but tell us why this quick. is interesting that Jesus doesn't say, you know, don't tell anyone.
1: Yeah, I'll be quick. So the first thing to point out is that he needs to stay because God has done something incredible for him right he needs to be in this place because of who he was and because who he is now but i love the 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 subtle switch here jesus says go home to your friends tell them how much the lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you and then he went away and he began to proclaim in the decapolis how much it doesn't say how the lord had done for him mm. but how much jesus had done for him and so for this guy what can we walk away with as far as our understanding for this guy jesus is lord Jesus is the one who has had mercy on him. Jesus is the one who has driven these demons out of him. I mean, this is, that is as beautiful of a thing as, as I think there is in this section. This guy goes from being as good as dead to new life, confessing Jesus as Lord.
0: I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Dustin Beck. He's the pastor of Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. Brother, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thank you, Pastor Boo. Friends, come Monday, when we return, we'll continue through the end of chapter 5 and a little bit into 6 with a section that scholars like to call the Markin Sandwich. Come and join us then to find out why. So until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word.